Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and thank you so much for tuning in today, and happy to have you, happy to have you listening. And in today's episode, we're talking about healthcare in Haiti. So if you remember a couple of months ago, I interviewed doctors Justin Dunaway and Morgan Denny about their amazing project in Haiti called Stand the Haiti Project. If you missed it, it was episode 181. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode um, because you'll have a better idea of what we're talking about in today's episode. So today I talked to Dr. Sarah Ecker. Uh, Dr. Ecker received her doctorate in physical therapy uh, from NYU, New York University. In 2011, after working for several years in the science, medicine, and technology department of a publishing company in the New York City area, she fell in love with pelvic health early on in her physical therapy career and worked in the New York City area at a specialized practice, during which time she received her pelvic rehabilitation practitioner certification from the Herman and Wallace Institute. For the last few years, she has been traveling the country as a travel therapist, which we didn't talk about today, but, but maybe we'll have her back on to talk about that, working in some of our nation's most impoverished communities in just about every setting imaginable. Last year, she discovered Stan, the Haiti Project, volunteered for two weeks in May, and instantly fell in love with the project, the people of Haiti, and the amazing co-founders of the organization, Morgan Denny and Justin Dunaway. Sarah is committed to continuing to help further the mission of STAND, and as STAND Haiti's Director of Pelvic Health, will help to ensure that women in Haiti have improved access to pelvic health and education. When Sarah is not working and traveling, she enjoys traveling, cycling, and anything that gets her outdoors, playing guitar, spending time with family, and home-brewing delicious craft beer. She's an amazing gal, everybody. And in, in this episode, we talk about the Stand Haiti Project. We talk about how her pelvic health specialty led to some surprising insights while volunteering in Haiti. And it's, I have to say, it, it's pretty jaw-dropping, some of the things that she was dealing with there. Um, how language and cultural barriers impact your treatment, and advice for physical therapy volunteers traveling abroad, and so, so, so much more. This was such a fun episode, and I want to thank Sarah so much for being so honest and candid about the things that she uh, was dealing with in Haiti and what the people of Haiti have to deal with on a daily basis. It's just going to be mind-blowing. So, And again, if you didn't listen to my interview with Justin and Morgan, go back to episode 181 and listen to that. Now, a few announcements before we get started. PT Day of Service is about three weeks away, people. So if you have not signed up, go over to ptdayofservice.com. Get yourself signed up. Find an ambassador in your area. Be an ambassador and get to volunteering. It's October 15th. That's the date. So get to it. The other thing that is happening here in New York City on November 4th is the Women in PT Summit, where we've brought together... Uh, some great speakers, both in and outside of the physical therapy community. It's going to be a great leadership course. It's open to men and women. We want to have real conversations, honest conversations and debates about the state of the female physical therapist in the PT world these days. So I'm really looking forward to that. And you can find out more information about that if you go to womeninptsummit.com and you can sign up. So please get over to both those websites, PT Day of Service and womeninptsummit.com, uh, 
sign up, get involved. And without further ado, here is today's podcast with Dr. Sarah Ecker. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thanks, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so you work with STAM, the Haiti Project, and I had had Justin and Morgan on a couple of months ago talking about STAND and all the great work they're doing in Haiti, but for those who missed that episode, and I suggest you go back to Healthy, Wealthy, Smart, uh, podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and listen to that episode, but can you give a quick overview of what STAND, the Haiti Project is? Yes, absolutely. Um, so STAND, um, the, the acronym for which stands for Sustainable Therapy and New Development, um, and the entire project name being STAND the Haiti Project, um, is it's a volunteer um, nonprofit organization. And um, like you mentioned, Justin Dunaway and uh, Morgan Denny um, founded this amazing organization. And basically they put together teams, um, interdisciplinary teams of primarily physical therapists, but also prosthetists, orthotists, um, and general medical practitioners. And so we take these teams um, down to Haiti for one to two weeks at a time, um, and the trips happen, I think, three times a year right now. Um, I know there's talk of maybe increasing that, but I think at the moment, for 2016 anyway, it's three times a year. And we head down to um, the northwest coast of Haiti um, in a town called Port de Pay. And um, we just try to treat as many people as we can in the most efficient but comprehensive way possible. And uh, I just, I, I can't say enough about Justin and Morgan. They're incredible therapists, but just, more so incredible human beings, and um, they're, they're really passionate about uh, STAND and, and affecting change in Haiti. So a really, really cool organization. And how did you get involved? Um, so I guess about a year or so ago, I was just kind of perusing different sites um, to, to kind of check out opportunities for um, physical therapist volunteers. Um, I, I will admit that there was a, a selfish motivation behind it because I love to travel, but um, I was also just sort of looking for a different opportunities. So um, I came across the STAND website and just thought, wow, this sounds like an amazing organization and uh, what a cool way to, to give back on um, very different turf than what I'm used to. So I kind of kept it on my back burner and... Um, was doing travel, travel physical therapy at the time, and actually still am now, but uh, unknowingly signed up for one of Justin's uh, spinal manipulation courses in Phoenix. And that same week had an interview with him for um, the Haiti Project. So anyway, we met up in Phoenix for the course, and Morgan actually happened to be there as well, helping out with the course, and we just totally hit it off, and I realized, wow, whatever whatever you guys are doing in Haiti, I, I want to be on board, and um, they're just, you know, some of the most dynamic, passionate clinicians I've met, and um, just sincerely care about making the world a better place, so I, I just, I wanted to be on board with what they were doing. 
Um, so just kind of went head first, signed up for two weeks, and um, just had an incredible experience in, in Haiti in, in so many so many different ways. Um, it's such a different different place to treat, but also a, a very very similar place to treat um, as far as as it goes with you know um, patient populations and and things like that. So um, that's kind of how I found out about it anyway. And so you go down to Haiti for two weeks. What was what was that experience like? Was there did anything happen while you were there that was maybe a little different even for the Stand Haiti project? So what sort of things did you discover working there for two weeks? Yeah. Um you <laughs> So I, I guess I'll I kind of give a little background. So the way that the clinic is um, set up is such that um, patients start lining up outside at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, Justin and Morgan are out there handing out numbers um, to to the people that we're, we're hoping to see throughout the day kind of based on our um, volunteer numbers and, and some other factors. But... Anyway, so so Justin Morgan kind of triaged the patients, and then um, they're kind of distributed to the clinicians who are thought to help them in, you know, not just the most efficient way, but the most comprehensive way based on sort of their complaints and the um, very cloudy histories we can get from them. So, um, and, and this is pertaining to, you know, assigning patients to not just physical therapists, but maybe the prosthetist or the orthotist or the general medical team. Um, so in any event, uh, these patients, they, they show up, you know, at your treatment table. The, the way that the clinic is set up is similar to other orthopedic um, practices that see a lot of patients um, in, in the States, you know, just a lot of treatment tables and a big open room. And um, so the patient comes to, to your table with your personal translator that you're working with for either that week or the two weeks, if you're there for two weeks. And there's a little bit of demographic, demographic uh, information on this paper, but also a primary complaint. So um, this was my first time in Haiti. It was my first time, you know, volunteering outside of the United States. And, and that is the case for many of the volunteers. So um, initially, you're just kind of trying to wrap your head around this new environment because it is new. It's it's very different from any place you've you've been in the states. Um, it's really hot. You know, you're trying to figure out how do I communicate best with my translator. You know, am I am I speaking and disseminating information efficiently and so the first few days, it's just kind of, you're just trying to figure out the, the nuances of your environment um, and really, really hoping that you're affecting your patients in, in some positive way because they've worked so hard to just get to the clinic in many cases, traveling hours and sometimes days just, just to get there. Um, so, you know, by day three or four when you're kind of embracing this situation and realizing, you know, okay, I'm I'm going to sweat through my scrubs by 9.30 every morning um, because it's that hot. And, um, you know, I'm learning enough 
Haitian Creole to at least, you know, greet my patients and, you know, or at least make them smile at how terribly I'm butchering the pronunciation and, and that kind of thing. So I was finally becoming, I hope, a little more astute in assessing the patients that were coming to my table and realizing, okay, the patients are coming to my table and women particularly in childbearing ages have this primary complaint of vaginal infection. So, you know, they could have back pain, uh, neck pain, hand pain, eye pain, and then also vaginal infection. So I was kind of like, what, what is going on with this? I mean, I, I guess it's plausible, you know, being that, you know, the sanitation and um, access to clean water and, you know, humid environment, things like that, all contributing factors, but it just, it wasn't sitting right with me. Um, so I kind of spoke to our, our general medical team and was like, hey, you know, are you guys noticing this too? Like all these infections and, and they are absolutely swamped. Um, our, our general medical team on the trip I, I was on was just, they were awesome, um, but swamped. And we were just kind of like, you know, if it if it sounds like a, a UTI or some other sort of fungal infection, you know, let's do the antibiotics, let's do the topical cream and, and keep trying to see patients. Um, so I guess it didn't, it still didn't quite sit right with me because I'm having flashbacks to my patients in the U.S. Um, who, you know, have had genitourinary issues for years and were on, you know, antibiotics off and on for years. And um, I just, it just wasn't sounding right to me. So I approached Justin and Morgan and, and asked them, you know, hey, is this, is this common? Like, is, is this one of the complaints that you guys see often down here, you know, these vaginal infection complaints. And um, and they said yes. And I said, wow, you know, has anyone ever, um, you know, have there ever been any clinicians that came down with you all that did pelvic floor assessments by chance? Because, you know, these women, um, aside from the, the conditions that they're subject to every day, they, they have, a, you know, it, I think on average four children and, you know, um, I'm sure there are, you know, issues with traumatic childbirths and, and things like that. So anyway, in, in perfect Justin and Morgan fashion, um, they just said, oh, well, do you want to try? Um, and if you do, how can we help you set it up and, and let's, let's do it if, if you want to start assessing women for pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so we kind of set up a makeshift area of the clinic, and um, instead of kind of sending all of these um, women to general medical to maybe get antibiotics or a cream or whatever, we kind of started digging a little deeper and um, screening out possible pelvic floor dysfunction. And what were the results? Were, were you surprised at how many or how little? pelvic floor dysfunction you were finding? At how many? Um, honestly, you know, and, it, and it's in some ways the, the chicken or the egg thing, um, are, the, are the infections prevalent, um, you know, and, and common there? Sure. Um, but also with chronic infection comes, you know, chronic um, tissue changes and, and things like that. So, 
we were definitely seeing a lot of uh, prolapse, um, just general pelvic floor, you know, dysfunction and um, and coordination, different tissue changes, um, incontinence, things things like that, things that are, you know, very common ailments that I've I've seen in patients in the States. Um, just no one has ever really um, examined these women before. You know, there's there's really very little, if any, gynecologic um, care or, or care surrounding pregnancy. Right. So a lot of these women are basically going through pregnancies and giving birth, perhaps without ever seeing a, a medical professional. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and I would I would think that a lot of these women just think, well, this is normal. Absolutely. Because everybody else, you know, incontinence, yeah, that's normal. Like chronic UTIs, yeah, that's normal because everyone else I know has the same issues. Exactly. And and that's so true. And that's exact, you know, once we started having this conversation, um, and it, it sort of, before I even approached Justin and Morgan about whether this could even be a, a possibility as far as addressing this demographic, I spoke to um, one of our female translators. My particular translator was a male. And when my wheels started turning, I was just, you know, I approached her and I said, hey, listen, you know, um, I'm noticing that a lot of women are complaining of of infection. Um, you know, what what do you think about it? And And she said, you know, yes, absolutely, this happens. You know, no one... We can't see doctors, and um, you know there are a lot of issues, uh, unfortunately, surrounding. You know, there's a big kind of sexual abuse and rape culture in in Haiti as well. Um, so she was very honest and forthright with me, and that's when I was like, "Wow, I think I think this is a population we could do something about." So. Um, absolutely. Once we started having that conversation and digging a little deeper um, with, you know, the, the women we were seeing that were in, in childbearing ages and that sort of thing, um, it was really coming to the surface that, you know, they think this is normal and this is okay and it's just something that they have to live with. Um, so. Yeah, and it's absolutely not normal, nor something you have to live with. So how do you... Now, there's obviously a language barrier. Perhaps there's a cultural barrier uh, when talking about when talking to these women about some of the, their pelvic uh, floor pain or incontinence issues, or even you know discussing sexual assault, rape, uh, child uh, childbirth. These, these are can obviously be very sensitive subjects. So, how did you go about? Uh, approaching this with all of these patients? Um, I mostly just kind of gave them information, tried to educate as, as much as I could, just basic anatomy, basic function of, of pelvic organs and, you know, what that part of your body is responsible for and to let them know that Sometimes these issues come up. Sometimes it's pain, you know, sometimes it's pain with um, intercourse. Sometimes it's mechanical pain, like when you're, you're sitting in the market all day and you, you, you start to feel the pain and maybe it, it moves in different places or maybe you've had 
several childbirths and some of them were prolonged child, you know, prolonged labors rather, um, or, or traumatic. And, you know, oftentimes you could maybe, you know, start leaking urine and just kind of put the information in their lap and, um, you know, let them know that, and I think this was a really sort of a, a game changer when I said, you know, we see patients like this all of the time in, in the United States. You know, I, I treat these patients all of the time, and um, these are kind of normal symptoms that happen with, you know, different life life changes and experiences as as a woman, you know, going through pregnancy and childbirth and um, just to see the look on their faces when they were like, oh, this is, it's not just me. Like, it's not my fault that I have these problems. These, you know, they were kind of making the connection, um, you know, through their symptoms in their body and the experiences that, that they had had. So, yeah, because sometimes I know in some cultures in Africa, uh, for example, it's very shameful oh, to absolutely. kind of have these symptoms. Uh, especially in continent systems or fistulas, things like that. And these women are ostracized oftentimes. Um, Absolutely. And is, was it similar in Haiti um, with the women there? Yes. Um, and I, I don't know that I, you know, we were just kind of scratching the, the surface with um, – addressing this demographic and kind of playing around with it to see, you know, culturally, how is it going to be accepted and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it's certainly stigmatized in Haiti, you know, if you maybe had children out of wedlock because maybe you were assaulted and, and raped, absolutely or ostracized, or maybe for whatever reason you haven't been able to have children or, Maybe it got out in your community that um, you you were assaulted, and in which case then makes you sort of unmarriable. So uh, that definitely plays a huge part in just the you know social aspect of of the culture. Um, a lot of a lot of shame that goes along with it. Um, but I think what I found is that just you know with a little bit of information and education these women were opening up and asking questions about their bodies and about, you know, um, sexual health and, and different, you know, pelvic health issues. And what so, were the most common questions or pelvic health issues that you were, you were seeing in these women? And does that parallel your work here in the States at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, and, and that's, you know, as as much as you travel and meet different people and see different cultures, it's, you know, so cool to see what common threads we really have. And, and that was true. It was a lot of the women said, oh, well, do you think I, I could have sex with my husband again, you know, or, um, you know, making the connection that, just because they're leaking urine now, you know, having incontinence issues, it, it doesn't always have to be like that because there are muscles that control this. And, um, you know, just starting to make that connection with simple things and, and mostly relating to, you know, there is an answer. It, it's 
it's not your fault, and more importantly, there's something you can do about it. Um, and I feel like that is across the board with almost any, you know, pelvic health patient I've seen, male or female, um, just the basic concerns. Um, and, you know, they are, they are sensitive topics, but I think um, once you can just speak a little more candidly about them, um, people become at ease regardless of the culture. So um, I think that was something that was really, really powerful to see. Yeah, so just giving a little bit more education and almost taking the taboo out of the subject kind of helped these women to open up and and realize that there's something that they can do. So you're really kind of empowering them, which is which is huge in any culture with any injury regardless. Um but I think when you have sensitive topics like this and and you're working with uh you know pelvic health issues that are are really taking a toll on their life and their psyche and how they feel about themselves that education and empowerment can go a very very long way oh absolutely absolutely and um to kind of piggyback off of uh i know that the podcast that you had with justin and morgan about how imperative it is for these people to just be able really be able to go to work like missing a day is a huge huge deal um, because it doesn't just affect them it affects you know their families their communities who are depending on them um, and and their economy so um, some of these women that just had severe pain or they couldn't go anywhere without um, you know leaking urine or they, they couldn't sit and sell things in the market because it was just too painful. Um, and some of them, you know, just endure it anyway because it, it literally is a, a matter of life and death um, for them to, you know, make a, make a living. Um, but it, it, it's just, it was incredible to um, see how empowered they, they felt and that they could do something which meant that they can keep working, which is really, at the end of the day, the their goal. So Yeah, absolutely. So aligning kind of what you're doing with their goals and values is so important. It's important in any population. But like you said, when it's a life or death situation, it becomes all that more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what tips would you give to a physical therapist who is maybe traveling or who is working at, at volunteer opportunities around the world where maybe there is a language barrier or a cultural barrier, but like you, you're seeing things and you're thinking, hmm, this is not, I feel like I want to dig a little deeper. What mm -hmm. advice would you give to, to a physical therapist, especially surrounding pelvic health, which again, like we said, is a little bit more of a sensitive topic and in certain cultures, very sensitive. What advice would you give to those PTs who maybe would like to get a program like this going for women in those uh, in those communities? Sure. Um, you know, I would say the the most powerful, impactful thing you could do is to just start the conversation, and it has to start with you because. You're you are the clinician, and you have the information. And you know, regardless of 
whether you have some trepidation around even breaching the topic in, in cultures that, um, you know, stigmatize, you know, sex or public health or, you know, embarrassing issues um, more than they, they we do in our native countries. Um, it's important to just give the information, you know, teach people about about their bodies, tell them about the muscles and, and the function of their organs and that, you know, it's kind of, I don't, just kind of placing the idea that, hey, sometimes these problems arise and you kind of put the ball in their court and before you know it, they're opening up saying, oh yeah, I I do have this problem or it, it does hurt when I do this or, you know, sometimes when I'm picking up a bucket of water, I leak urine and then I have to, you know, do something about that and it disturbs my day and it's it's really just, educating, disseminating the information, um, letting people know that these are common problems and it's it's not their fault, and most importantly, you can do something about it. And I think that that's the message that um, translates, you know, through through any culture and any population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love uh, how you said earlier that, you know, I see women in the United States with these problems, and they really connected with that, you know, knowing that there are other women, even in countries that perhaps have better medical care, that, right. Right. that this, is a, this is not just a problem for women in poorer cultures, that this is a, this is a, a worldwide problem and happens to women everywhere. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that that's a message that really resonates with everyone because, you know, the no one wants to feel, uh, you know, alone or um, in this, you know, embarrassing exclusive club of of problems. So I think that's a really powerful message too, to just to let the patients know that these are these are common problems, and um, you know, they're not alone. Yeah, and and do you feel now is the Stand Haiti project going to be incorporating this into their uh, into their program when they go down those three or, or more times a year? Is, is a pelvic health program something that's going to be incorporated? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, Justin and Morgan um, actually asked me to, to be the, the director of the pelvic health program. So if I have anything to do with it, absolutely. Um, we, I want to start recruiting um, you know, pelvic health clinicians to make sure we have at least at least one, but hopefully a couple, because you know more heads are better than one always, and um, just to make sure we have have that demographic coverage um, when we go down there, because it's it's so important, and you know the the changes you can impact are huge, and um, so we're really gonna to work to try and. Um, Build the program, and um, you know, the the whole long term goal of Stand, you know, sustainable being the first part of it, is to you know treat some some of the Haitian clinicians. Um, I know Justin and Morgan; they work with a, a nearby nursing school and do a lot of education with them. And um, we have 
some of the nursing students come in and do observations. So really to uh, start kind of training and, and having the conversation with um, potential Haitian clinicians about this this part of, um, you know, a medical team. And, uh, and, and that's, that was another really cool thing that um, I experienced was by the end of the two weeks that I was there, I don't know, three, three or four of the translators that we work with um, came up to me and started asking me questions saying, hey, you know, and, and male and female, you know, I, I have this problem or my girlfriend has this issue or my boyfriend or my sister and um, just the fact that the conversation is circulating in the community um, is is so cool. So I I really hope that we can um, continue to accommodate uh, that that demographic in the future with Stand. Yeah, and I would think also uh, creation of like little support groups for some of these women so that they have people to talk to. Yes. About yes. these, and, and t can talk to each other. And again, because it's it's all about that taking away the taboo and, and, and creating a community and getting a conversation starting so that these women don't have to feel like they're alone and they don't have to feel like, oh, I am just broken and, and I can't even enjoy my life, but but rather to be able to come together and create this community, um, I think is, I foresee that as something that can even come out of, of this conversation. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I, it, right now, you know, we're just trying to make sure that we can get a clinician on board, but certainly like my kind of pie in the sky dream is to be able to do more community outreach, you know, reach some of the, you know, sexual assault and, and rape victims and, you know, tie that into their, their comprehensive medical treatment and, and just doing a little bit more, you know, education um, with women's health and, and, and sexual and reproductive um, health. So that, it, it seems like a lofty goal at this point, but that's certainly um, something that I, I want to strive for with Stan. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest, it doesn't even, it, I don't think it's that lofty of a goal. I mean, I think this is something that can, that can definitely be done, especially because there's clearly an interest. You know, you have a lot of interested parties down there in Haiti amongst the, the people coming to the clinic, male, right. and, male and female, which I think is wonderful. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, this, is, this is what happens with volunteer organizations, right? Every time you have every experience, so this week or two weeks where they bring clinicians down is a different experience and you learn different things and then you just layer on top of what you already have and that's how you kind of grow and sustain. Right, right. So true. So true. And so, and so what's, are you going back again? Will you be going back down to Haiti again? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm planning on going. So there's there's a fall trip, um, the last week of October and first week of September, um, which is fully booked, which is awesome. Um, and then there's another one in the winter time, January 20th through February 5th. And again, it's broken up into 
two weeks. Um, but yes, I will be there for the winter trip, absolutely, and many, many trips thereafter. And so. let's say, how can someone get involved with Haiti? Where can they find, or with STAND? How can they find more information? And so we know the the trip in October, November is booked, but if someone wants to go in January, how can they sign up for this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the best way to do that is to go directly to the website, which is standhaitiproject.org. Um, also, you could just go to the Stand Haiti Project on Facebook, um, tons of information there. Um, obviously, anyone who's interested in, in talking more about pelvic health or just the experience alone um, could contact me or, or Morgan Denny or Justin Dunaway, the amazing co-founders of the project. Um, we would all be thrilled to speak to anyone who's even just maybe entertaining the idea of, of volunteering. And how can people find you? Where can they get in touch with you? Sure. So um, anyone could contact me uh, via email. That's typically the best way. And it's my full name, Sarah Ecker, 123 at gmail.com. At gmail. Great. And, and just so everyone knows, we'll have all of the links to all of this uh, uh, on the website in the show notes for this podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Um, so Sarah, what, let's, what uh, would you like to leave the listeners with? So if someone's interested in Stand Haiti, if someone's interested in pelvic health and this kind of a population, what are the, the things you'd really want them to take away from our conversation today? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think um, at the very least, just any clinician treating anywhere, you know, to sort of keep your eyes and ears open um, for this population because it, it is a demographic that often gets missed. Um, it's a demographic that is rarely asked um, the, the right questions to try and, to try and dig deeper. Um, so that's the very basic part. Um, and as far as, you know, maybe volunteering or traveling, it, it's just, it's an incredible experience. Um, you know, I have to say Stand is, is my only out-of-the-country volunteer experience, but it's, it's incredible. I mean, you, you make amazing changes. Um, you're working with some just incredible, incredible human beings who are really passionate about what they're doing. And honestly, I felt like the two weeks I was there, it was the best continuing education uh, course in its prolonged two-week form that I, I had ever had um, because Justin and Morgan recruit folks who, you know, are passionate and have different skill sets. So you're constantly learning from each other, you know, and, and talking about your patients every night and, you know, oh, maybe I should have tried this with my patient or you know, oh, you treat pelvic health? Like, what does that mean? Oh, maybe I should have sent you this patient, you know? So it's, the experience in its entirety is just in, incredible and life-changing. And um, I think physical therapists, especially, and certainly this comes from a place of bias, but like to give back and, and like to kind of 
dig deeper and spend time with their patients. And um, I think anyone, like I said, who's just entertaining the thought of volunteering, um, please go to the stand site, um, contact, you know, myself or or Morgan or Justin and um, just have a conversation with us. Yeah, and I think that's wonderful advice uh, for anyone out there thinking they want to kind of do more and how can they do more. So I think you've laid out some really great reasons and a plan for people. So thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, anytime. And again, uh, if you want more information about Stand the Haiti Project, you can go to standhaitiproject.org, get more information, and sign up Sign up for their winter trip, being as their fall trip is fully booked. So uh, if you want to volunteer, listen, I've, I've interviewed Justin and, and Morgan, and they really are. They're, they're wonderful, they're passionate, and they've got a really great thing going here. So again, thanks to Sarah, thanks to Justin and Morgan for all you guys do to help not only the people of Haiti, but to really help push the profession of physical therapy forward. So I thank you all for that. Um, and everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.